Uh, super excited to be here. And, uh, you know, like Vic said, man, so many friends, so, many, so much family here. And uh, we're going to do our best just to, just to share the truth, the reality of Easter. Uh, that last song that we sang, the, the last, or like one of the phrases in, in there is that uh, death has lost its grip on me. You know, that really summarizes uh, for a believer what Easter is all about. The day that death lost its grip on me. I think death is actually the biggest enemy to mankind. I think it's ultimately the greatest fear. And I've heard it said in a, in a lot of different ways, but the day that you no longer fear is the day that you truly live. When we understand Easter or believe Easter, Easter becomes a reality to us. Uh, it is permission to truly live. Uh, so we're going to do our best to share that truth. And really, uh, if today's message had a title, it would be under these two words, don't forget. Don't forget. It's amazing how powerful words can be. When put together, two words, don't forget, means something special. Something matters. Something is important enough for us to try to fix our mind, fix our thoughts, attempt to attach our memory to whatever this thing is that's about to be said. Today's message is don't forget. How many of you have uh, ever gone to the grocery to finish this? Cool. Like, I just got to go and get one thing, and you leave, and you got all the things except the one thing. Anybody ever done that? Perfect. We forgot. We forgot. Today's message is an attempt to remember the one main thing. Because without this, this doesn't matter. That's how important the message of Easter is. And there's a struggle. There's a temptation for me, for you, if you've grown up and just been around Easter, I'm tempted to say, how many Easter services have you been to in your life? And I, I believe that there would be an astronomical number if all of us added ours up together. And I'm concerned because sometimes when we do something so often, it just kind of loses its flair, its power. You know, after you do something time and time again, it's kind of like, yeah, been there, done that. Easter cannot be that. The message of Easter, the resurrection of Jesus, cannot be something that we abandon or just say, take it or leave it. It's not that big of a deal. It is a don't forget, can't forget kind of deal. What we're going to do is we're going to actually spend the most of our time today in Luke chapter 22. Uh, our service will almost at the conclusion be a moment where we take communion together. So if you've got your communion elements, just hold on to those until the end of service. Um, real quick, just so we'll be able to do it. If you don't have communion elements, maybe put your hand up and we'll pass them out through our host team. Is there anybody that doesn't have them? Y'all perfect? Are you kidding me? Just you? Hey, Christy, I'm praying for you. I heard in the back room what happened to you. You've gone your entire life without breaking a bone until this weekend. Congratulations. Congratulations. That's a big deal. Don't forget Easter weekend 2023. We're going to take communion together at the end of our service today. But Jesus is about to have a don't forget moment with his disciples. Um, and that's really what communion is going to be. We're going to do our best to talk about that. Um, and what's going to happen is 
Um, Jesus is going to give an ordinance or a sacrament. It's going to be an instruction to every single person that is going to be a follower of Jesus. It was, it was a model that Jesus set with his early followers that's supposed to be repeated by anyone that has surrendered their life to Jesus. And so really, today's message is absolutely about the resurrection, but it's going to be the majority of time about communion. About communion. What is communion? To actually understand communion, we have to understand the need for, for communion. Uh, a lot of times we know what is right, but we don't know what's something significant that we'll get into. The whole narrative of the Bible is that God created everything, everything that we see, plants, animals, vegetation. Uh, he planted all those things and after each moment of creation or season of creation, God would say, this is good, meaning this is really good, meaning it's complete. The way it's put together is complete. On his final day of creation, God creates humanity. Adam, Eve are created in just a little bit of time, but he creates mankind, and this is the words that he uses. He says, this is very good. Very good meaning whole, meaning complete, meaning as it should be. This is the way God designed. And when mankind was operating in its wholeness, it was close to God. It was provided for by God. It had God's wisdom. It was in relationship with God. And all things were good until the moment where sin entered into humanity. And what happened is sin entered into humanity and it fractured the wholeness that God created mankind to experience. So for the first time in humanity, Adam and Eve experienced that which is not whole because sin entered in, because God is holy, because God is righteous, because he's pure, because he's worthy. God cannot be around that which is unholy. That's how incredible he actually is. Because of mankind's sin, there was a punishment that had to take place. According to the Bible, there is a wage attached to sin. There's something that's due because sin is in not just Adam and Eve's life, but if we trace all of our bloodline back, we would find ourselves in the same lineage of Adam and Eve. Therefore, sin and sin nature has been passed down to each and every single one of us. So we've inherited this problem of sin that has a wage attached to it and that wage is death physical death but also spiritual death disconnection from that which we were created to be connected to have any of you ever had a debt that you literally couldn't pay i'm not talking about one that you had to get on a payment plan I'm not talking about one that you'd get to it over time, but I'm talking about a debt that carried a penalty attached to it. And there was no way that you could pay it. Because of the system that we live in, oftentimes there's always a way to pay, but imagine the hopelessness if you have a real debt that you collision course with the penalty of your debt. Unless someone other than yourself steps in and pays that debt, cancels that debt. How, how thankful would you be? How appreciative 
would you be? How much would you never forget that moment that that debt was canceled? Jesus stepping into the story in Luke 22, which is the last week of his earthly ministry, Jesus is about to have a massive moment with his disciples that is screaming, don't forget because I am about to cancel a debt that all of you have. Communion. Luke 22, like I said, is the end of Jesus' earthly life. It's been a terrible week for him. He's gone into the holy city. Uh, he's seen things happening in his father's house that he absolutely hates. People were using the place of worship for a place for personal gain. That's the moment where he's throwing tables, flipping tables over because of just how much they were missing it. But there was one thing that Jesus was really looking forward to that takes place in Luke chapter 22. And it's his final meal with his closest friends. He knows it's his final meal. So let's just, this is literally about 2,000 years ago to the day. If you know that it's about to be your last meal, it's going to be meaningful. Every moment's going to matter. And that's what this moment is for Jesus. Verse 14 and 15 of Luke 22 says this, And when the hour came, Jesus, as he says, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And it says this, he says, guys, I have earnestly desired. I, I've been waiting to eat this Passover with you. He says, I've been waiting for this moment for a long time. The Passover, just so you know, was, it was the most sacred feast out of all of the Jewish religious year. Because what it was is the Jewish Passover dinner, it commemorated um, it commemorated the final plague on Egypt. Um, what was taking place, this is a long time before this meal is taking place. Uh, if you've ever seen in the Bible with Pharaoh and Egypt and the plagues, the final plague that was out there was that the firstborn of every family would be killed, who were his people. So the plan was this, is that in order for you to not lose your firstborn child, um, we are going to implement this system. The system was that this certain night, actually six days before this event was going to happen, before this plague came over and took people's firstborns away, uh, what, what people were required to do was to get a lamb, a pure, a spotless, an unblemished lamb. Actually, they had to get it six days before this and analyze it for five days. Make sure no blemish popped up. Like, like they, they had to make sure, it was an estimated in those days and at Passover meals, there would have been about 200,000 lambs that this is taking place for. So you better get to the lambs early. You know what I mean? Or they're picked through. But what took place in those days was they would sacrifice that pure, spotless, perfect lamb and they would take the blood of that lamb and they would paint it over the doorpost on the night that the plague was supposed to come. And then the, the death angel, the angel of death, going through would see the blood of the innocent lamb over the doorpost and that angel would pass over that house. So the Passover meal that Jesus is having with his friends is remembering what God had done for them. 
So every moment, he couldn't wait to celebrate what God had done, but he was going to turn the page on this story as well. In those days, there were three elements to a Passover meal. It would have been the lamb, it would have been bread, and it would have been wine. And Jesus is saying, I cannot wait for this moment. He's saying, this is a meal, let's not forget it. In verse 16, Jesus says this. He says, for I tell you, I will not eat it until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. It says he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, a lot of people believe that there were multiple cups attached to this meal, and they would read certain parts of of remembering what God had brought people out. Exodus 6 is really where it would have been that they'd remember this moment where God had brought them out of oppression and they would take a sip or they would drink a glass and they would remember. But it says, he took one of those cups, took that cup of wine, and when he had given thanks, he passes it around. He says, take this and divide it among yourselves. So his friends right there, he says, for I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom comes. Puts the glass down. And then it says, and he took bread. Now, all of us usually just blow through this part. And he took bread. Why does that matter? In those days with bread being at the table, and especially in moments like this, bread represented something more than just a loaf of bunny bread. It wasn't just something that was nonchalant. All throughout God's promises, all throughout God's creation, bread had significance attached to it. So when it says that he took bread, this thing called the show bread, and what that represented was God's presence is here with us. So when they saw bread and they're fixing their mind on what God had already done, they were saying, God has been with us for a long time. The bread. The bread also reminded them of the victory that God had brought them through so many times that was commemorated by bread. In Proverbs and in Psalm, it talks about about bread being the wisdom of God. So they'd be remembering that God has been with them. They'd remember that God was the one that brought victory. They would remember that God was the wisdom and they would remember that God always provided for us the manna. That God continually provided for us. Jesus couldn't wait to remind them of all of these things to celebrate this thing. But he turns the page when he says he took the bread and he says that he gave thanks. And he does this. He breaks the bread and passes it out. And he says, remember everything that God has already done for us. But I'm going to show you something else. He says, this bread that you now take, this is my body. It's not just the promise, it's not just the provision, it's not just the presence and victory and wisdom. This is my body, which is given for you, which is being sacrificed for you. And he says, when we eat this, he says, don't forget. Don't forget. Now, let's freeze time. He hadn't sacrificed himself yet. So he's still alive. So there were probably some thoughts going on in their mind like, Okay, this is my body, which is given for you. Yeah, you've given your life. You've given us wisdom. You've given us these things. Oh, but this bread is going to take on a whole new meaning in a couple days for these disciples. He says, take this bread, which is given for you. And he says, do this in remembrance of me. In John chapter 6, Jesus had already prophetically told them, guys, that I am the bread of life. And here he is saying it again Jesus is saying in this moment, he is saying, you guys, 
all of the things that God has done for us, he is saying, I am the fulfillment of all of these things. He's saying, I am with you. I am the presence of God. When Jesus was born, people shouted out Emmanuel, which was, ex- it was ex- exclaiming that God is with us. Jesus is saying, I'm with you when you eat this bread. Remember, I am with you. He says, I am your victory. They don't know exactly what victory means for a couple more days, but Jesus is about to defeat death. And he is prophetically saying, I am your victory over death. He is saying, I am your provision. I am all which is broken for you. And then he continues. He continues the first word of the continuation of this is likewise. Likewise meaning, okay, in the same way that you're not supposed to forget this, don't forget this part. It says, likewise the cup, after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Likewise, he's saying, don't forget He's saying a new covenant. Covenant, again, wasn't a word that they had never heard. God had made covenants with people. The word covenant just means a promise. It means, hey, I guarantee you this. And oftentimes it was symbolized through wine. It was through pouring out of wine. And then many times in order for this covenant to take place, it required a sacrifice. I'm all the way in. A covenant of purification, a covenant of redemption, a covenant, again, this is the meal that Jesus is having with his friends, and he's saying, guys, don't forget the covenant that God has already made with us, all of those things that he has done for us. But Jesus is, again, flipping a page, and he's saying, guys, there is a new covenant, and it's not going to come the way that the other covenants have come where the old promises where, hey, you'll be, you'll be pure, you'll be purified. The old covenant was that you could be purified by the sacrifice of an animal. He's saying, I'm turning the page. It's no longer going to be that you have to go to the tabernacle, that you have to go to the priest, that you have to go and do all of these things. He's saying, there is a new covenant coming, but it's coming in and through my blood. So when we take communion in the same way that that night Jesus' disciples are remembering the body, the blood, all of those things that the old covenant had represented, we are receiving of this new covenant. When we take communion, we are participating in and remembering this new covenant. And Jesus is screaming from the mountaintops, don't forget. So what happened? The dinner, which probably would have been two to three hours long. They weren't in a hurry to get the check. They were enjoying the time together. Most people believe that this would have been the final moments of Jesus' experience of joy before he rises to new life. They leave. They go to a garden, and in the garden, Jesus is betrayed by one of his closest friends, one of those 12 people that were close to him. Judas sells him, sells him out. He's in the garden, really in the moments where you need people around you. 
Peter, one of his most, these people are coming to take Jesus away when Judas sells him out. Peter's like, you ain't taking my friend, takes a sword out and cuts a guy's ear off. And Jesus is like, that's not what we're trying to do. Jesus picks his ear up and puts it back on his head. That's in the Bible. So the same guy that defends his friend just a couple hours later completely denies he knows him. And then the rest of the disciples or many of the other disciples just scatter because things are getting tough. They're getting heated. Jesus is taken away. He's given a, 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 a joke of a court. He's given a joke of a judgment. He doesn't get a fair trial. And he is announced to be guilty. And the punishment is harsh. For the next several hours, Jesus endures public shame public mockery, complete abandonment. And that's just the emotional side. The physical side is ridiculous. He's scourged. He's given a sentence to receive 39 lashings with the cat of nine tails. The reason he was given 39 was because it was assumed that if you were given 40, it was a death sentence. The most a physical body can handle, Jesus is given. Nearly every other person that was given the punishment of 39 lashings with the cat of nine tails, they would receive the lashings, which is extremely graphic that I won't get completely into right now, but they would take that body that could barely move, let alone if it survived, and they would put them in a prison cell where they would either pass away or that they would heal up. Not Jesus. Just a couple moments after he receives the lashings, they attach a tree to his body and tell him to walk up a hill. Walk up a hill carrying a tree on his back, being publicly mocked, being shamed, being criticized. They bring him up to the tree and they attach him to the tree with three spikes. One in each wrist and then one through his ankles as he hangs on a tree. says that Jesus fought death a really long that he still needed to achieve. A man on a mission, even in the midst of the greatest pain ever, he's still on mission. One of his last exchanges with people is him inviting a stranger into paradise with him. Just a remarkable man, a remarkable savior, hanging on a cross, until the moments where he is released to say that what he came to do 33 and a half years ago, he had fulfilled and he utters out three powerful words. It is finished. It is finished talking about those wages that were due because of sin. It is finished. He says, I paid them. The debt is canceled. And our Savior, his life is released from his body. Death. Jesus, completely sinless, takes sin on completely. Completely sinless, takes everyone's sin on his shoulders and says, I'll pay the price. The one that no one else could, he does.
Jesus' crucifixion is Christ's victory over sin. And once soldiers confirmed that he is deceased, they remove his body from the cross and he's buried in a tomb. This would have been about 2,000 years ago yesterday. I always think of it as Silent Saturday, the day the earth stood still. That day his disciples said, what just happened? They're living in fear now because there's a bounty on their heads. And this man that promised so much was no longer there until Sunday. And in Luke chapter 24, everything changes. Luke 24, a couple days after his burial, some women are going to visit his tomb. Some close friends, some followers. And they're going there with some spices. And that's, it was ritual there. The majority of the reason they were going there with spices is to mask a smell that comes from a deceased body. And in Luke chapter 24, it says, On the first day of the week at early dawn, so Sunday morning at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices that they had prepared. They get there and they find that the stone is rolled away from the tomb. At this point, we already know the end, so we're like, hallelujah, praise God. That wasn't their immediate response. The stone was rolled away and they run inside. It says, when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. They were perplexed about that. There was a lot of belief in those days that there was literally body snatchers, that they were taking it, and that had a whole other realm of implications. But they go in there looking for them, and they are really bothered that they can't find his body. And all of a sudden, two men stood there. Dazzling apparel is what some translations say. It says the women were frightened. They were so frightened, they just bowed down their faces to the ground. And the men, which we know as angels now, said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. And that moment shook humanity. It saved humanity. The story goes that those two women took off (laughs) running. They knew where the others ran to. And they show up at these people's houses and they say, y'all, it's true. Everything he said, everything he promised, he's alive. He's alive. He defeated death. And therefore, everything that he said, if this is true, Every other thing that he had said for the last three and a half years, every other thing is true. And for the first moment after it was authenticated to other disciples, these men that were once fearful because of what the government was going to do, what the people were going to do, were empowered. And they began to preach fearlessly, live fearlessly. Why? Because the greatest enemy known to mankind named death all of a sudden lost its sting. 
the one who died, rose again, and his promise is that anyone who follows him surrenders their life to him. Although they may die a physical death, they will live again. The resurrection is Christ's victory over death and the grave. And from that moment on, the disciples lived completely different. Just a week before, Jesus had told them, he said, hey guys, don't forget, my body's going to be broken. My wine, the blood is going to be poured out. That's gonna pay for your sin. It's gonna defeat death. Don't forget, and that moment went bing. That's what he said. That's what he meant. That's what he was doing. And from that day forward, every time that they would gather together, they would take communion together. Every time that they would eat and dine, they would have bread and they would have wine and they'd say, guys, don't forget. This is what is the fuel in the tank for us as, as people that are living a life that reveals Jesus to others, that shares the good news, that boldly proclaims what Jesus did in our life and now wants to do in other people's lives. He said, this is the, don't forget in 1 Corinthians in 11, it says this, for as, this is Paul writing to the church. He said, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, as often as you do this, he said, proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. The promise is that Jesus will come again and he will take his people with him. And for those who have surrendered their life to Jesus, although we may experience physical death on this earth, the promise is that we will have new life in the same way that Christ defeated the grave as well. So when we take communion together, we are remembering what Jesus has done and in the same way at the Last Supper when Jesus was reminding them of all the things that God had already done and he was saying, hey, I am fulfilling all of these things that God has already done. When we take communion, it's like Jesus is saying every time, don't forget church, don't forget followers of Jesus, I have paid for your sin. The debt that you couldn't owe, that you couldn't pay, I paid for it. Your debt is cleared, you've been redeemed. Guys, we can never forget that. And Jesus is boldly proclaiming it every time we receive communion. Don't forget I paid for your sin. He's saying, don't forget I've conquered death. And I really feel the need to tell you, to encourage you, that it's time to live a victorious life. Because of what he has done, we now have the authority to live a life like one that has conquered death itself. He's saying, don't forget I've set you free. Oh, when they were eating dinner and at the Passover meals, they'd remember how God set them free from the Egyptian's hand. Don't forget that the stronghold that the enemy once had in your life no longer holds the same authority. Jesus has unlatched the authority that the enemy once had in your life, if you have surrendered your life to Jesus, understand this, that the enemy's claim on your life, hold on your life is no longer there. You can live a life free from sin. You have been set free. You are delivered. Or when we take communion, don't forget that God is with us. The presence of God. After Jesus resurrects from the dead and ascends to heaven, the presence of God dwells here with us. The Holy Spirit is here. God is, remember that God is with us. 
His presence is with you. Don't forget, I'll guide you in the same way that God guided his people all throughout the Bible. When we take communion, let's not forget that God, that God will lead us. He will instruct us. He will take us where we need to be. He will give us wisdom in our life. He does it through the word of God, but don't forget, I'll guide you. For, for many of us tonight, today, we need to remember that God will provide for us. In the same way that he's here with you, God will meet your needs. Don't forget, I'll meet your needs. Oh, he did it all throughout humanity, all throughout history. Yes, times got tough, but God always met his people's needs. He used the other people to do it. Sometimes he would just bring manna from heaven. Don't forget, I will meet your needs. I will provide. Don't forget, I'm not done with you. Oh, as long as there's breath in your lungs, church. God is not done with you. Some of these disciples had failures. And for whatever reason, we think that when we fail or fall short, that God is done with us. For some of us, we think because of our age, God is done with us. For some of us, whatever the reason is in your brain that why God is done with you, let me strongly suggest that as long as there's breath in your lungs, God is not done with you. The same man that denied Jesus just a couple days before, Peter, when Jesus resurrects from the dead, he sees Peter. He says, Peter, what was that moment like? I'd imagine if I was Peter, I would have hung my head in shame. See, Jesus, man, I messed up. You know what Jesus says? He says, hey, Peter, you love me? And he says, I do. He says, nah, Peter, do you, do you love me? He says, I do. He asks him one more time, and Peter says, I love you. This is literally just a few days after he just denied him. You know what Jesus does? I imagine Peter saying, I denied you, I denied you, I denied you. Jesus says, I know you love me. He said, let's build the church together. Guys, as long as there's breath in your lungs, he's not done with you. Every time you take communion, let's not forget Jesus is saying, I've accepted you. I've accepted you. And for us, that's a reason for praise. Oh, that's a reason to praise. Every time we gather together, we remember through communion, the body and the blood that was broken for you. Jesus accepted you like this we're going to sing one more song and we're going to ask you as we sing the song for you to take communion as you see led the song is called remembrance it's essentially the message I just preached just much more consolidated and much better than what I just did but I want you to receive of communion as you remember the body and the blood for those of you that this is this is new but it's real to you I want you to receive the gift of Jesus, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension. I want you to remember that and just surrender your life to that. 
And our response has to be praise. So would you guys stand to your feet with me?